tells me so Christian God wants nothing from you he wants everything for you everything that God has for you he has your best interest in heart at heart always you were made by him you were made for him you were made by him to be loved by him you are made you are not independent of yourself the biggest thing that we misunderstand is we cannot. We need to understand the, the 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 fact that we are codependent upon Jesus. In Him we live, we move, and we have our being. When you come to Christ, you become symbiotically bound to His kingdom. You know that you're no longer of this world; you're of His world. And so, as you operate in His kingdom, so the kingdom moves in your life. As you, do not, as you move away from His kingdom, so the principles and the promises of God become alienated to you, even though you're an heir. One of my favorite verses is in Galatians. It says, I say to you that the heir, so long as they are children, so long as they are immature, are no different than slaves, though they are masters of all. 
In Christ, you're sons and daughters. So long as you're mature, you're no different than a slave. Even though you're already a master of all. You've already been qualified in mastery. You've already been qualified as a son and daughter. But because of the way that we act and because of our maturity, our ignorance, say this with me. My problem is related always to two things. Do you want to know the solution to your problems? I'm going to give it to you. Your problems are directly rooted in two things. Say it with me. Ignorance or arrogance. One or the other. You are completely ignorant, and so you make choices and decisions, actions out of ignorance. Or you're just arrogant and self-willed, thinking you know it all, and you're superior, and you don't need to be, you need to do it, and you make decisions out of that. And so your problem is, our problems are rooted. Anytime there's something going on with me, I'm like, what am I ignorant of, or where am I arrogant in? And most of the time, it's ignorance for most people, because Christians, if you truly have the heart of God, you want to be humble. But we have arrogance nonetheless. Arrogance, say this with me. Arrogance is always protecting my vulnerability. Always. Always. Your arrogance is protecting your vulnerability. It's always there. You want to deal with your issues. You want to deal with your problems. You want to deal with things that go on in your life. There's ignorance and there's arrogance. If you confront those two issues, what is it that you don't know? What is it that's missing? What is it that I think I know that I really don't? Where am I hard-headed? Those are the two things that bring the problems into people's lives. Last week, we were doing a, uh, a series on discipleship. We're supposed to be disciples. Is that, does anybody know that's true? Right? We're supposed to be disciples. Disciple means learner under discipline. Say this. Discipleship is learning... Doing and understanding. That's what it is. We learn and we do. We learn and we do. When the Bible teaches us that if we learn or we hear things, if we're hearers of the word and not doers, it doesn't mean anything. It tells us that in James. It tells us that in Corinthians. It says those who hear the word of God don't do anything with it. It's like a person who looks at themselves in the mirror and walks away and forgot what they look like. Right? It, it, it's worthless. It doesn't mean anything. And so we're, Jesus wants us to be learners under discipline. We're to learn. Say this with me. We are to learn and then discipline our lives into the learning. That's what it means to be a, dis- a disciple. The root word of disciple is the word discipline. Discipline is the lowest form of Christian development. But it's necessary. Right? You get your kid up out of bed, you got to discipline them to clean their room, right? Eventually, what you would hope is that that child just rises up one day and just does it out of love. And because they're a functioning part of the household. Why did you clean your room? Mom, I cleaned it because I am a part of this family. And I know this is what it means to be a part of our family is that I participate. And I did it, Mom, because it's just something that I know you would like. <laughs> That's a higher level of relationship, isn't it? Rather than having to be disciplined into the action. So discipline as a Christian, that's the foundation. That's we make ourselves do what we don't want to do. But eventually we're supposed to mature beyond discipline. And we're supposed to grow in relationship. We're supposed to do it because we want to. Because we love God and that we understand His love for us. Predicated upon nothing else. 
than a determined act of love. I will to love my father. Do you know why I will to love my father? Because my father wills to love me. He, he will, I set my affections upon the Lord. Whether in season or out. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, or whether it's ugly. I determine that I will love God. I determine that I will serve God. That's, that's the high level of relationship. That's what it looks like. Because God sets His affections on you. There's nothing special about you why He should love you. I don't know if you've ever considered that. There's no, he doesn't love you because you're the best looking. You're the smartest in the room because you have the most potential. Oh God, surely I love that person because look at the potential they have. God doesn't love us for... There's no reason why He loves us. No reason at all. He loves us because He wants to. That's the only reason. The Bible says He sets His affections on you and He doesn't change His mind. I love you because I want to. No other reason. And you know what? Nobody tells him different. That's why the Bible says, what can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Nothing can change his mind when he has set his love upon you. Nothing. Happy day. Happy day. You're loved on your worst day. Jesus is for you when you're against you. <laughs> he loves you when you don't love you. He loves you when the dog forgets you. Right? You don't feed the dog. Dog's like, I'm not coming to you, man. You didn't. Where's my Alpo? Where, where is that? You didn't give me that. I'm not coming to you. <laughs> Dogs don't do that, though. Dogs are always happy to see you, aren't they? Man's best friend. The cat. Now, the cat, that's a whole other story. The cat, you know, we can, just, we can talk about cats. So last week, we talked about predestination. And there's the different views of predestination. Say this. Predestination, predestination. is a predetermined plan for all who follow Jesus. That's all it is. The church makes this, hero- this like crazy doctrine that says some are predestined for heaven and some are predestined for hell. Well, who told you that? But yet we teach this. This is what we teach. 70% of American churches have one form of predestination or another. Seven out of ten. That's a problem. That's why evangelism is so low. Because we think, well, they're predestined to go to hell. Really? That, that's, that's our viewpoint. Well, God is predetermined that... You'll be saved, and if you're predetermined to be saved, well, then eventually you'll get saved, you see? That's, that, that's a complete misrepresentation and a misunderstanding of predestination. And all the verses that they use to create that point of view are in contradiction to other verses in the Bible. Say this, when there's a contradiction, there's a problem. And the problem is not with the Bible. The problem is with our understanding. Our job is to reconcile these verses until they present the picture. And if the verses are in conflict with them, there is no contradiction in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. There is not one. The Bible is a harmonious book. There is no contradiction. So when you say that God doesn't heal today, that is a contradiction to other verse that clearly says he does. Even though there is no verse that says God doesn't heal today. Not one. Not one. But yet we have doctrinal positions that state that. Dogmas. Say this. A dogma is an opinion of men or women. <laughs> a doctrine is what the Bible teaches. So a doctrine is what the Bible teaches. A dogma is man's opinion. And, it, and there's lots of dogmas that are taught as doctrines. And you know when you step on somebody's dogma, spiritual cows moo. Moo. All the spiritual cows start mooing. What do you mean predestination is in a way that I've been taught? It's not. It's not what the Bible says. It isn't. What do you mean God, God, God's still healing? It's what the Bible says. 
Just because the Bible speaks the truth and we can't manifest that truth, it doesn't mean that the Bible's not real. The biggest argument in particular relationship to healing is that if God was healing today, we'd see more healings. Like, really? How many people you prayed for lately? How many? No, just a question. Well, if God wanted to heal, God's going to heal. Again, that's a complete misowner and that's a dogmatic position that's passed off as doctrines. We passed, you need to understand this. I am not, I am absolutely 100%, I am for the church in every form. But that we have got to have the mind of heaven and not the mind of the earth. We have got to have the mind of heaven and not the mind of denominations. We have to. We have to. I mean, look around. We're not, we're not doing anything. We're ineffective. Well, if we're ineffective, then there's got to be something wrong with our process. If we, cannot sheave, if we cannot bring forth what God calls us to bring forth, we cannot do what God is telling us to do. It's not heaven's fault. It's ours. We're not doing something correctly. We're misaligned. You guys ever ride a car that's misaligned? Huh? Your car's your front end's misaligned. You're going down the road. You're trying to recorrect it. And the car keeps pulling, pulling off the side of the road. Or you got a bent rim. You can't drive at a high speed. You're, 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 you're not operating as the car is designed to operate. And you're always pulling off. To the, you're always going off to the wrong way. You're always going off to the ditch. Your tires are always wearing out. There's always all these issues that are always happening. You can tell I've driven used cars for a long time. <laughs> it's the way it is. God has a predetermined plan for all who follow Jesus. In other words, he says, if you follow Jesus, this is the way I have determined it to be. And we talked about this is just by way of review. And hopefully I'll get to what I actually was trying to get to last week. <laughs> I tried to put this important. It's symorphous. The word is God has predetermined that we be conformed into the image of his son. In other words, when we come to Christ, God says, this is my predetermined will. All who come to Christ will receive my spirit. And it's a Greek word called symorphu. They will receive the like nature of Jesus. You get the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus could have just forgiven you and that would have been enough. But he, God made it better than that. He said, my predetermined will is that all who come to Christ will get my spirit and will have an internal nature that is like the sons. That's what it means when you're in the spirit, Christian. When you're in the spirit, you are operating out of your simorfu. You are like, wow. I'm a different person. I'm smart. I'm a genius. I love people. I can forgive people. This is great. I can run through that wall. This is amazing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? One person. There's a one person that understands what it means to be born again in this room. That's what it means. When you're born again, Jesus decides, the Father decides to put the life of His Son in you. Born again is an experience. If you've not experienced being born again, you probably are not born again. But I believe in Jesus. Intellect doesn't convert you. You cannot be born again by the intellect. You must be born again of the heart. The Spirit of God coming into you. When you worship, you get in the Spirit and there's a transcendence that happens to you. That transcendence is you are in your true nature. You are operating with simorphous. Aren't you glad? Yes? You should be happy. You have the nature of heaven in you, Christian. Any day, any time you want it. You can step into the Spirit any moment. God's power in your life is not predicated on your behavior. Well, I sinned yesterday. I smoked, drank, and chewed and hang out with those that dude. Did, dude. <laughs> I saw an R-rated movie, got in my car and blasted some Jay-Z. I don't know if I can get in the spirit today. 
Really? Why don't you try? You get in the Spirit immediately. He's with you, even when you're against you. You get in the Spirit, you're in a new nature. You get in the Spirit, you have the mind of Christ. Some of you business people in the room, you need some understanding, you need some insight. You should get into the mind of the Christ. You should get in the Spirit and get into the mind of the, in the, mind of the Lord and begin to meditate on what lies before you. Begin to meditate on the plans that you see before you. Begin to get the mind of heaven and ask God to show you something that others do not see. You have access to that. Just a thought. So God is determined that you get his nature. How beautiful is that? He's determined that you have an inheritance. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Everybody wants a wealthy ancestor that can give them an inheritance. We have Jesus. And he gives you an inheritance. You inherit, you inherit this kingdom and you inherit the world to come. And I quote this all the time, so I thought it would be important if I gave you some verses. Even though I have a ton of these that I could give you. But let's give this. Luke 12, 31 says, Seek the kingdom. And of God and what is right to him. This is another verse where he says the same thing. And all of these things will be given to you. Do not be afraid, little ones, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you what? The kingdom. The kingdom. The kingdom in the now and the kingdom in yet to come. Hebrews 2. The world that... Everybody say this with me. The world that is to come has not been put in subjection to angels. The world that is to come, the eternal world that Jesus comes, it's called, say it with me, Palin, Genesia, the renewal of all things. Jesus is coming, and when Jesus comes, he's going to regenesis everything. It's a renewal of everything. That world, when Jesus comes with his world and regenerates all that is, will not be ruled by angels. Who will it be ruled by? Oh, yeah, you're not a new crowd. This side's not new, okay? So, you're not... (laughs) We made, it will be ruled by the sons and daughters. You, you will be ruled. Thomas said, let us die with him that we may reign with him. To him who overcomes, I will give to rule the nations. You rule nations. That's a whole other world. Jesus is coming with a kingdom. We're not, floating on harp. We're not playing harps and floating on clouds. It's not an eternal worship song. That's not heaven. I don't know who told you that. That's the church's view. We're either floating around on clouds, just strumming harps. Or some portray heaven as just this eternal worship experience. It's a literal kingdom that is managed by the stewards that are God's sons and daughters. There's dominions and reigns and areas. And he's going to rule on the earth for a thousand years. And if you're aware of that, that's what the Bible says. He's going to bring a kingdom to this earth that will be administered from Jerusalem, from the holy city. The Lord himself will be the king and will be the son of the whole world. There will be no more son for the Lord himself will be the light. Figure that one out. What does that mean? I don't know. It just means there's no more sun. Jesus is the rising sun of the earth. He's, he's, he's the glory. I don't know. But what I do know is he will rule and reign from Jerusalem. And from Jerusalem, his kingdom will be administered from one end of the earth. And the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the earth of the Lord from one end to the other. And the knowledge of the Lord will be administered to and by his sons and daughters. And what you do for him and what you do with him in this life is going to be directly apportioned to what you will rule and reign in the next life. So if you ain't doing nothing, Christian, yeah, it's true. Now we should, we, if you, those who give and you serve and you give, but the point is, is you have a mandate over your life, which I'm going to talk about in a second. You need to be faithful. You are accountable for the mandate over your life. You are not accountable for your neighbor's mandate. You are accountable for yours. So Jesus isn't looking at you saying, did you do this? Did you do that? He's going to go, what did you do with what? Well, I don't know what he told me to do. Well, you're going to be accountable for that even there. 
Ignorance, say that with me. Ignorance is no excuse. You cannot give Jesus an, a, a, an excuse of ignorance. He will not accept it. You ever read how the servants present themselves to the Lord? Read your Bible. See how the servants, all through Jesus is talking about how the servants present themselves to him. Not one time does he accept excuses. Not one time does he accept cowardice or fear. Not once. He has an expectation that they know. He has an expectation that they do. And when they didn't know, and when they didn't do, they were accountable for both. So we have a, American Christianity is in for a shock when the nations and the ethnos present themselves before the Lord and the churches of every ethnic Paris, there's a vast majority of the American church of this generation that's going to be in for a shock. Because he's going to look at him and he goes, you have no excuse. You have no excuse. We all get heaven. We all get an inheritance. We all get a fig tree. What does that mean? It means we all have equal equality of provision. We all have, you're going to be, it's going to be joyful. You're going to be equally provided for. But you will not have equal in position. It is equal in provision, but it is not equal in position. What do you think the Bible's talking about? Run that we may receive the prize of the upward calling in Christ Jesus. It's telling you, don't be like the common. Don't be like the average. Pursue the high calling. Oh, it's too much work, pastor. It's too much work. And so Christians would rather sit and go to churches and stick their head in the sand where they're never challenged and they're never changed and everything's convenient for them. Vibrating chairs, fish tanks, temperature, etc. It's optimum setting. Teachings that's presented to not offend anybody. And we think that there's no accountability for that. There's a lot of accountability for that. The Lord basically says, you know who I am. And I hold you accountable. You are accountable for your potential. You are. And you're accountable for your calling. You are. Fear is not an excuse. Well, I'm too, I'm too deficient. I'm too afraid. I'm too weak. Where you are weak, there I'm strong. Excuses rejected. Oh, I didn't have the education. You have the mind of the spirit. Excuse it rejected. I didn't have the resources. You had access to the resources of heaven that you never accessed. Excuse rejected. Anymore? There's not one excuse that will stand. Well, everybody else was going this way. And everybody else was doing this. Excuse rejected. I called you to be exceptional. Not accepted. If you want to be exceptional, you will not be accepted. Just a fact. The crowd's not going to accept you because you want to be exceptional. Look at your workplace. Huh? Anybody want to be exceptional in your workplace? It's like a barrel of crabs. Everybody's pulling you down. They don't want you to stand out. They don't want you to make them look bad. They murder competence. They'd rather leave everybody in the level of incompetence. The church does the same thing. We're called to go higher, not lower. We're not called to dumb this down to the lowest minimum standard. We're called to call people to the upward calling in Christ Jesus. Sons and daughters. You know what it's called? Say it. Rise to the level of my birth. For the love of God. Can the church rise to the level of its birth? You're born of kings. You're born of the king. Royal blood is in you, Christian. You need to go to the mirror and start high karate yourself. 
You need to start taking inventory and get it, get do business with everything that conflicts with what he wants. That's what the Bible says. Cast aside every weight that does so easily beset you. What is besetting you? Huh? I say this, I have one guy go to me. What are you trying to say? We're all going to be pastors? No, I'm not trying to say you're all going to be pastors. If you have a mandate of business on your life, do it. But do it the way he told you to. Some of you have mandates to raise your children. He is looking at you in the season. Mandates and callings are seasonal. Everything is in season. You raise children in season. You do jobs in season. Everything is in season. And your season shifts with promotion. This is the way it's supposed to work. You're supposed to work a job for a season. And then you're supposed to move to glory to another level of promotion. But a lot of times we can't get the promotion because we've not been faithful with where we're at. If you're not faithful with where you're at, if you're not faithful with little, you won't be entrusted with much. You haven't been faithful here, why should I give you more? The Bible doesn't work like that. The Bible rewards faithfulness. Doesn't we get ready? Say this. Jesus, it's going to help some of you out, doesn't reward the talented or the gifted. He rewards the faithful. Talent and gift is like a shooting star. They go up like rockets, but they do not endure. The faithful, it's a long game. With the faithful, it's built out over the long term. And the work that God does in the life of the faithful... I'm not even teaching off my notes. The work that God does... The work that God does in the faithful is something that lasts. Some of you, you get discouraged because of the talented, the good-looking, the charismatic. Oh, look how beautiful and attractive and drawn people are to this person. Look how they just shoot up like a rocket. Yep, they do. And they burst in the night. But the faithful are oaks. Oaks grow deeper. Oaks grow stronger. Oaks last generations, Christian. A storm can't take down an oak. When you've got trees on the ground after a hurricane, there's no oak on the ground. There's a part of the oak, there's a branch of the oak, but that tree, that trunk of that tree is standing. A mature oak tree won't go down in a hurricane. Show me the picture. It won't. you got an oak that's 40 or 50 years old and it's standing there and it's rooted. It's like, bring it on. Oh, it loses a few branches. Sure. Loses this. This brook is broken off, but that trunk's there. You drive all over Miami and you can see oaks, that, but the oak is there. Those banyan trees, man, shallow roots, they shoot up like... You ever seen a banyan tree? They grow like weeds. Up and fast, but the roots are shallow. Big monster tree laying down. Doesn't even need to be a hurricane. It can be a tropical forest, tropical storm. Down goes the banyan tree. But the banyan tree is so beautiful, it grows so fast. <laughs> we need to understand who we are and how God works in our lives. We seek the kingdom. God has not made the world to come in subjection to angels. Angels will not rule. You will rule angels. What does that look like? I don't have a clue. I have never experienced what it looks like. But we have that same thing in prayer. We command and dispatch angels in prayer. We can. We can command and dispatch angels in prayer. We can. I release the ministering angels to my loved ones who do not know Jesus. I loose the angels of righteousness to bring forth the will of God in the earth. You, know, you can command angels. The Bible actually says we'll judge angels. What's that mean? I have no idea there either. I don't have any idea. 
I really don't. I'm just telling you it's true. <laughs> and if it's true, then we need to want it. I want to rule with him. I don't want to live in shady town in, in eternity. I want a city on a hill, man. I want a city on a hill. I've already got my, in my mind, I already know what I want. And I'm lying saying, Lord, that's what I want. That's what I want. How big's your faith? How big's your faith, huh? Little faith? How big's your faith? What do you want? Oh, I would never. I just, I just don't believe we should ask Jesus for anything. Who told you that? Ask of me. Man, I, somebody needs to do a word study on how many times God commands us to ask of him. Over and over and over and over and over. You have not because you ask not. See, ask, seeking, over and over. What are you asking for? Well, I don't know. I'm just too timid. <laughs> Mommy, can I go to Disneyland? Mommy, can I have a new bike? Mommy, I want those shoes. Are your kids shy about asking you? <laughs> the smaller they are, the bigger the imagination. I used to tell my daughter, and she'd be like, just put the card in the thing, Dad. Just, just. She's like, just buy it. Just put, she's like, all you got to do is put the card in. Oh, is that all I got to do? Just stick the card in? <laughs> Man, automatic money. You have a calling. He's predetermined that you will rule that world with him. Because he wants you to rule with him. He takes pleasure in ruling with him. He has no glory in weak sons and daughters. He wants sons and daughters that understand who they are, that stand on their feet and live and operate like divine royalty. We live and rise to the level of our birth. Rise to the level of your birth, Christian. You are born royal. You need to tell yourself that. I don't care where you come from. You might be born in a field somewhere. Well, that's of the earth. But in heaven, you're born royal. Doesn't matter what grandpa says you are. You're born royal. Who are you going to believe? What are you going to make an agreement with? So he's determined that you would have his nature. He's determined that you would rule and reign in this world and the one to come. You have a calling. At Kaleo, God, you have a royal summons. There's a summons on your life. At Kaleo, you are all summoned. This is what I was going to he summons you out of darkness and into light. But then he summons you into relationship. And into relationships, he summons you into mission or mandate. You're never going to know your mandate without relationship. Never. You have to know the calling. God has called you first out of darkness into light. He's called you as sons and daughters to begin to be intimate with him as your father. And that doesn't mean we just lay around on a couch and just bask in the love of God all day long. We have an entire generation that that's what they think it is. They think the love of God and the call of God is only to just lie around and experience all day long. That's, that's not it. I give you that. I give you a verse. That's what Peter thought it was. Let's just stay in this experience, Lord, up here on the mountain. Woo, the glory's here. Let's just stay here. Oh, I think we should build some tabernacles, man. We should build some tents and we should just stay here on the mountain in the glory eternally. Jesus said, no, it's not, this isn't the point. The point is to take the glory into the valley. The point is to take the glory into the culture. 
It's a calling. We have an ekkaleo out of darkness into light. God is summoning all people to himself. He's summoning, his, he's summoning his people to himself, to their identity, to know their sons and daughters. Then he's summoning them to them from that relationship. He's summoning them unto their mandate, into the calling of God on their, on their lives. He predetermined your destiny. He's put a calling over your life. This is all Romans 8. Moreover, he is pre- those whom he predestined, he called, who he called, he justified, who he justified, he glorified. What a verse. It's like three weeks of teaching on just that. Predetermined destiny gave you a calling, he justified. Say this with me. Justification, Justification. is legal right. Do you see how good he is? It's mind-blowing when you understand what he's doing here. He doesn't forgive you. He gives you his nature. He doesn't just give you his nature. He gives you relationship. He doesn't just give you relationship. He gives you calling. He doesn't just give you calling. He gives you legal right. Legal right. Justification. Legal right to what? Your sons and daughters. What legal right do you have to be a sons and daughter? Because Jesus told you, we're all God's children. No, we are not. There's, some, there's about six or seven things that I teach repeatedly, and this is definitely one of them. All human beings are not, say it with me, human, the human race are not all God's children. They are all God's creation, but they are not God's children. That's a cultural misnomer. That is not a biblical statement at all. The only ones who are God's children are the sons and daughters, and it is those who are in Christ. John chapter 1, verse 12. Those who received Christ, to them he gave the right, the justified right, to become children, sons and daughters. Those who believe on his name. If they don't have Jesus, they're not God's child. Plain and simple. But if you do have Jesus, then you are God's child. And guess what? The spirit and the gifts are yours. The inheritances and the promises are yours. The bread is for the children. It's that simple. There's nothing fair about favor. You better get used to it. Again, I teach you this. Christian, you're supposed to be favored. There's a guy here, Moise. I mean, he's not here today. You'll know when he's here because he's always clapping and cheering, right? He just told me. He said, I went to, get, I went to a job interview. And he said, the guy looked at me. Because I say this all the time. He goes, man, it's just like, he goes, I have to share this testimony with you. I go, go ahead. He goes, I went to a job interview. And the guy looked at me and goes, you know, we just hired a guy. But I think we like you more. So we're going to let him go and we're going to give you his position. Oh, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't know. That just doesn't seem nice. There's nothing fair about favor. God will give nations for your ransom. The bread belongs to the children. So he just hired this guy. He'd been there like two or three weeks. He goes to the interview and he goes, Man, I just think we like you more. So uh, we're letting him go and we're going to give you his job. Nothing fair about favor. Nothing fair. Nothing. Say, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Then that's fine. You stay on the outside of the covenant. As for me, in my house, I want the inside of the covenant. If Jesus doesn't have a problem with it, I don't have a problem with it. He doesn't have a problem kicking an unbeliever out of the thing and giving it to one of his sons and daughters that needs provision. He has no problem with that whatsoever. The Bible says the wealth of the wicked is stored up for who? The righteous. the righteous. The wealth of the wicked is stored up for the just. Some of you, you're in business and you need to believe God that that become yours. Why? So you can be greedy and your name is Jimmy, gimme, gimme, gimme. My name is Jimmy. 
No, Lord, I want that as an inheritance that I may use what you're giving me to propagate the gospel. Then you have heaven's attention, Christian. If you think it's about you, you've missed the point colossal in colossal fashion. It's not about you. It's about him. You need to believe God for what does not belong to you that it would become yours. It's the Old Testament, man. He gave them land. They didn't. He gave them land. They didn't. They didn't plow vineyards. They didn't plant houses. They didn't build. Was that fair? He kicked them all out and said, "This belongs to my children." Well, that's just not fair. I just don't find that to be, you know. Well, then you know what? You don't understand the kingdom. You worship fairy Jesus. You don't worship the God of heaven. I expect it. I have an expectation upon my title. I didn't ask for my title. He gave it to me. I didn't send in a resume that said, Would you please, Lord, if you're in a good mood today, if you really feel like it, would you please make me a son? Would you please? I didn't ask for it. He gave it to me. According to the predetermined counsel of his good will. He set it forth. He set it forth. Some of you need to go home and go, Lord, what does this mean? What are some areas of my life that I can begin to believe you for favor? Where in my life am I supposed to have favor that I don't? I dare you. I want the living gospel, Christian. I'm not interested in religion. I want a gospel that lives, moves, and breathes. I want to experience His world in mine. I want to live it no matter what it costs me. And I feel inclined to tell you it's tiring. It's exhausting. But isn't work exhausting and tiring? Isn't the labor of men exhausting and tiring? And there's no fruit in the labor of men. Is there? Very little. Like grain, a little bit of, little bit of, little bit of something. But there's much fruit in the labor of the kingdom. Much. You have an inheritance, the world to come. Full rights of adoption. So you're justified to be sons and daughters. You are completely, what right do you have? I have the right of the kingdom. I am a son of the highest. You hear me make this statement all the time. When we do prayers, what do I say? I am a son or a daughter of the highest. What are we doing? We are stating to before heaven and earth that this is who we are and we know who we are. And devil, you're going to know who you're me- If you mess with me, you better know who you're messing with. I know that I'm a son of the highest. I'm the Christian that, you, that you've been warned about. You might want to go over there and mess with some uneducated, some, un- some ignorant believers. But you're not going to mess over here because I know that I'm a son and I know what is rightfully mine and I will not take no for an answer and you will not trespass and you will not claim my land and you will not withhold the things that God has for me and you will not stand in the way of the mandate that's on my life, period. Period. Put a rag on your head and a knife in your teeth, Christian. You've got to be relentless. Yeah? Relentlessly pursuing the promises. It's called contending for the promises. Why do we have to con- Well, if God wants me to have it, uh, this is again Christian dumb. If God wants me to have it, then why don't I have it? Why do I have it? Because you have to fight for it. You have to fight for it. And you know why? The devil doesn't give you a clean run at it. But he has to yield. 
He, he may not want to yield, but he has to yield. That's what we call we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's a wrestling match, right? He's got his armpit in your face, right? You put your armpit in his face. You get him in a full Nelson and you grind on that dude. You ever watch wrestling? MMA? They got to tap out. You ever watch guys not want to tap out? They don't want to tap out. You're tapping out. Devil isn't tapping out unless you make him. He's not. A lot of you, he inhabits areas of your life and you've left him there. Your ancestors have left him there. Your attitudes, your mindset leaves him there. And you know what he does? He makes his land a wasteland. Wherever the devil is, there is a wasteland. He makes his habitation a wasteland. Wasteland of relationships, wasteland of finances, wasteland of a future, wasteland of hopelessness. Anywhere wasteland exists, the devil is there. And he's only there because you, Christian, are letting him be there. Well, God's allowed the devil. No, you know, God's not allowed anything. He's given you legal authority. You have legal authority to exercise against the enemy that opposes you. And if the devil won't move, it's because he has a right. Then you need to go to the Holy Spirit and go, what right does this devil have to stand and defy me? What right? And the Lord will tell you what the right is. Guaranteed. Devil, the, only, the devil's got to move. He's going to yield. You're going to have to wrestle him, get him out, and he's going to leave. But sometimes he's going to stand there and go, I'm not going anywhere. You go, oh, I must not be strong enough. I must be too weak. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. No, the enemy has a right to you. He has a right. You believe a lie. There's something in your life where the enemy claims as a right against you. You believe you're not good enough. You believe you're not worthy. He's holding it up. Believe you're not worthy. Why do you think I just did the whole thing on hopelessness? Some of you have made covenants with hopelessness. You've made agreements with hopelessness. You said it's hopeless. God's not coming through. Total lie, but you've agreed to it. And the devil holds it up like a card. She agreed. I can visit her. I can shroud her with hopelessness. And we break the agreement. We renounce the covenant. We repent for agreeing with it. And we command hopelessness to leave. And hope is what? Restored. Immediately. It's called spiritual warfare. I mean, what are we missing? We think that we can do this stuff intellectually. We think that we can create a, a church that, that, that doesn't need encounter. I mean, we think we can do it all through theological assent and doctrine. I mean, it's raw, Christian. It's gritty. The kingdom of heaven suffers what? Huh? And the violent do what? Oh! We're little lambs. Under our father's shepherding, he's going to take care of us in every way. Yeah, he will take care of you. But if you want the kingdom, which is the dominion and the mandate that's on your life, you are going to be violently opposed. Hell itself will not oppose Jesus. Hell opposes the kingdom. Hell itself does not oppose Jesus. Hell opposes the anointing. You want to know what the devil's opposing? He's not opposing Jesus. Well, the devil's against Jesus. Who told you that? He's not anti-Jesus. He's anti-Christ. He's anti-anointing. He opposes power. Huh? That's why we have a powerless generation of churches. Because they're in covenant and communion with the lie of the devil. 100% guaranteed. 100% neutered. In the last days, men will be lovers of themselves. Professors of godliness, but denying what? What are they denying? Come on. They deny power. That's the hallmark of the last day church. 
love themselves, want teachings that just about their itching ears, recliners, vibrating chairs, light show, skinny jeans, smoke machines, tickling ears. Woo, tickle me. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah. Professing godliness, but denying power. Not denying Jesus. They're denying the anointing. And what is that? That denial of power is a communion in a covenant with demonic forces. And it needs to be repented of. I was raised charismatic. I'll use my own self. I'll put I'll myself upon the altar. I'm on the altar. Okay? So you know that I'm not above this and I'm not speaking to you in such a way that I have never experienced myself. Raised with charismatic churches. Raised with power. Born into this kingdom with power. Charismatic, which is spirit-filled churches, become cuckoo for cocoa puffs sometimes. You understand that? Right? It's true. We prefer to be the Wheaties version of the spirit-filled church. Okay? We're not fruity pebbles. We're Wheaties. So we're going to give you the spirit. We're going to give you power. We're going to inject you with strength. I'm going to manifest the kingdom naturally, supernatural. All those charismatic churches, charismatic churches went nuts, went crazy. I I don't know if anybody here knows what I'm talking about. Charismatic became charismania, you know, all kinds of crazy, like loony, loony, lunatic stuff. Like, like, just like, like what? You know, I wanted nothing to do with it. I pulled away hard. I was younger, much younger then. I wasn't, let's just say, I wasn't as spiritually developed as I am now. I wasn't mature enough to discern what, what was going on with me. I just knew I didn't want to be a part of that. I went into an area of my life and I went into this ministry and we planted this church. And my wife will tell you the early part of us starting this church, we did it without power. Why do you think I, I told the Holy Spirit, I will never again not speak of you. Ever again will I, and I have repented. Oh, I feel the glory. Woo! <laughs> I will never again not speak of you. You have churches that don't mention the Holy Spirit when you go to the Spirit-filled Christians. You go to churches that don't even talk about the Spirit. What's wrong with you? If you've tasted of the glory to come and you go to a well, I like the way they, they dress on Sundays, Kevin. You know, you don't wear a suit and tie, so I can't come here because you, you don't wear a suit and tie. Not biblical. I'm like, yeah, you want me to be biblical? Let me put on a robe and sandals. And now I'm really biblical. And people tell me this stuff. Oh, the room's too dark for me. It doesn't feel like a church. This is, this is, this is where people are at in their heads. This is where people are at in their hearts. This is it. Well, I don't know. You know, when I come here, I just feel like I'm supposed to do something. And, you know, I just got a lot to do. I got a lot going on with my life. And I really don't need any more to do. This is what people say. I mean, it's like unbelievable. And so we gravitate to these areas of our life. And our problem is we think like people. This is our problem. God has commanded us to think from his world into this one. If you want a literal golden door key to the kingdom, I just gave it to you. When you go to his world and say, how do you see this, Lord? What do you say about this, Lord? What are you telling? Not what do I want? Not what does everybody else think? Not what's the opinion over here? What's the flavor of the week? When you go to his world and see what he wants, your paradigm's going to shift entirely. Entirely. You'll never see it the same. You'll never see yourself the same. You'll never see your future the same. You'll never see life the same when you really understand that. 
It's his world to ours. On earth as it is in heaven. Is that, is that a poem? Is that what Jesus was talking about? The will of God from his world to ours. Not our world to his. His world to ours. What does he want? And we all act like we know what he wants. We don't know nothing. We're clueless. I get around pastors. They all think they know what God wants. I'm like, you don't know anything. You haven't received a prophetic word. You haven't heard the counsel of the spirit in, in your entire ministry. You're working off human intellect and strategies. And I'm all in on human intellect and strategies. But human intellect and strategies are to partner with the spirit. They're not to subvert the spirit. The spirit of God rules all. He rules all. He is the all in all. The all in all. So I just had a guy who was talking to me about problems going on with his life. And I said, and so what did you do? He goes, I did what you told me to do. And I said, what's that? He goes, I asked the Holy Spirit what was going on. And I said, and what did the Holy Spirit tell you? And he told me what the Holy Spirit told him. And I'm like, it's a miracle, isn't it? That we can actually hear the voice of our Father, that he'll actually give us counsel. That the Spirit will actually lead us into truth. It's crazy, man. You have full rights of adoption. You're an heir of the world to come. You have the power of the kingdom now. You have the Holy Spirit and His promises. You have the gifts of the Spirit. Where are they gone? I mean, we need to put that on a milk carton. Anybody see prophecy? You know? Where'd healing go? That should be on a milk carton too. Anybody seen that? Tongues? No, no, no. Missing in action. Even spirit-filled churches have become seeker-friendly. Everything to dumb it down. We nod at the Holy Spirit, but we deny His power. Are they called the burdens of the Spirit? What are they called? Where are we at? Gifts. Aren't they called gifts? What are, what are gifts supposed to be? Come on, help me out. You can say it. What are, they make you happy, right? They're to bring joy to your life. They're to empower your life. They're to make your life richer. They're to make your life fuller. They're to make you have an experience. It's a gift. It's not a burden. Again, if you want to see it how he sees it, this is how he sees it. It's a gift to you. It's a gift to you. The Lord's been telling me, just because you have a problem with it, Kevin, doesn't mean I do. Oh, some of you need to write that on your mirror. Just because I have a problem with this doesn't mean Jesus does. <laughs> I have a lot to say. <laughs> Not short on opinion here this morning. You are an heir of blessing. You are an heir of wholeness. You are an heir of freedom. You are an heir of spiritual authority. Full rights of adoption. You're not an outsider. You're an insider. Predestined us. Ephesians 1.5. We are predestined as sons and daughters. Again, God predetermined that those who receive Christ would be called sons and daughters. This is what he wanted. You come to Christ, the destiny of those who come to Christ is already predetermined, and you will be a son and daughter. You will have a somorphous. You will have his nature in you. You will have a destiny. You will have an inheritance. You will have spiritual authority. What you do with it is entirely up to you, but it doesn't matter. You still have it. It belongs to you. You don't have to do anything with it. But he's given it to you. Spiritual authority is the right to conduct business in our Father's name. Did you know that? So we have two verses here. We have Matthew 18 and Matthew 16. Both talking about binding and loosing. The first one in Matthew 18 is binding and loosing in the realm of men. Matthew 16 is binding and loosing in the heavens. What does that mean? God has given us authority in the heavens and he's given us authority upon the earth. What does binding and loosing mean? It means we have the ability to conduct business in our father's name. When a child was of age in the Hebrew culture, they would bring him before the gates, before the elders. And they would literally say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. 
he is now of age to conduct business in his father's name. This is really it. Exactly what happened to Jesus. Came up out of the water. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He has legal authority to conduct business in my name. And what do we see? Jesus is conducting business in the father's name. And we're in Christ. We're in sons and daughters in Christ. We have been given the ability to conduct business in our father's name. Heaven's, heaven, it's another thing I get, get all the time. Like, well, the church isn't a business, Pastor. The church is an organism. The church is a community. No, the church is a business. Say it with me. It's our Father's business. Ah, Jesus says, I must be about my Father's community. Did he say that? No, let me just, let's just be clear. Did he say that? He said, I must be about my Father's what? Business. Business. He's building the church. The ecclesia. This is his father's business. The church is an expression of the business of the father. The church is to be the central point from which all of the father's business goes forth in the earth. To him be glory in the church. If you think you can do this thing without the church, you're completely missing it. If you think you can lone ranger this thing, you're completely missing it. You are. You need a functioning format of a church to belong to. It's your father's will. It's how you're created. You have spiritual authority to conduct business in your father's name. Matthew 18, he's saying, look, there's disagreements. How you settle these disagreements, bring them before the elders of the church. And the church's decision will be binding to heaven as it is to earth. And the church's decision to release will be binding to heaven as it is to earth. In Matthew 16, he's talking about the kingdom in the spiritual realm. And he says, Peter, who am I? He says, you're Peter. This revelation that you have that I'm the Christ, hell will not prevail against you. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. Did he give the keys to Peter or is the keys given to those with the revelation we think he gave the keys to peter he didn't give the keys to peter he gave the keys to peter's revelation the keys of the kingdom are given to the revelation that peter was given by the father well peter has the keys of heaven it's only only peter really only peter really only peter well paul would have a door problem with that because the lord kept opening doors with him what would paul get the keys you have the keys of the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom are given to those whom, with whom have that revelation that Jesus is the Christ. And what does he do with these keys? He says you're to do three things. Ready? Here comes expectation. The rock of revelation, Jesus is building his church. Say it with me. He expects us to advance the kingdom. So when he says the gates of hell will not prevail, has your front gate ever attacked you? Really? No, I just want to ask you guys a question. Some of you, has the gate of your workplace ever decided to jump off off its hinges and chase you down the road? Ever. Gates don't attack people. Gates are attacked. Do you understand that? Well, the gates of hell are coming against me. Really? No, you're supposed to go against the gates of hell. You're supposed to wage a war against the authority and systematic structures of evil in your generation. And he expects it. Where are the gates? Systemic injustice. There's all kinds of gates. Poverty, sickness, disease. Those are d- d- ignorance. All of that stuff. Those are the gates of hell. We oppose that with the kingdom power given to us. He expects us to advance against that. We have keys that open doors and give us access to heavenly realms. You have access to heavenly realms. There are many rooms in my father's mansion. That's what it says. There's many mansions in my father's house. No, there's many rooms in my father's mansion. Your father, you're, part of, you're part of your father's house. You're part of your father's mansion. And in that mansion, there's rooms. Most Christians never leave the lobby. 
Most Christians never leave the foyer. I want the rooms. I have access to heavenly realms. Absolutely you do. Absolutely. What does that look like? Why don't you give it a shot? Well, I don't want to hear visions, Pastor. I don't want to, I don't want to go into these crazy places. Are you looking for the devil or are you looking for the Holy Spirit? The church spends all of its time looking for every devil under every bush. We encounter only the devils that manifest themselves to us. Other than that, we are to follow the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't run around looking for devils, Christian. He wasn't walking around going, where's all the demons in town? I need you to bring me everybody or any place that you think there's a devil. I need them to come here right now, right now. He didn't do that. He went and ministered the kingdom and the gospel. And as the demonic presented itself to him and manifested against him, he dealt with it. He dealt with it. That's how we are. Yet we spend all of our time looking for where the devil is working in our lives. No, we're follow the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit reveals something, then you deal with it. So you know, the devil doesn't show you anything. It's a cult. It means hidden. He's very content to keep himself hidden from you. He doesn't want you to know. You think he wants you to know. He doesn't want you to know. Most of the time when he's doing something to you, he's lying. And he tells you it's God doing this to you. He's not saying, hey, it's me. Lucifer in the flesh. I'm the one afflicting you. He doesn't say that. Look what God's doing to you. Yeah, you know God loves you, but you're just not worthy of his love. And because you're not worthy, this is why this is happening to you. <laughs> or he just leaves you in ignorance. It's the way it's always been. Everybody's in your families like this. It's the way it is. We bind and loose agreements and decisions. We bind devils. We loose them off people, places and things. We loose angels. We loose the spirit of God and we send the word of God. Psalm 149.5. Say this with me. Let... The saints, be joyful. That's you, okay? He wants you to be joyful, right? Let the saints be joyful. Let them do what? Let them sing, what's that word? Out loud. What? He doesn't care if you can carry a tune in a bucket. He wants you to sing. Sing out loud. Make a joyful noise. Sing out loud upon your bed. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. And a two-edged sword in their hand. To do what? What are we supposed to do? gates of hell. Execute vengeance upon the nations. I'm going to explain this. And rebukes upon the people to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron and to execute upon them the judgment that is written. This what? So how does God see spiritual warfare? Does God see spiritual warfare as a burden to his people? What, What is he giving you? Spiritual warfare is a what? It's an honor. He's honored you by giving you triumphal ability over your enemies. Next slide. This idea of vengeance upon, it means ethnos cosmos. It means systems of men. And what the Bible is saying here is that the systems of men would not prevail against you, but that their systems would work against themselves. That the systems of injustice and evil would not, no weapon formed. Anybody ever heard that one? Right? That the systems of injustice and the systems of men and the evil of men would not prevail, but would in turn against itself. Psalm 141. Let the wicked fall into their own nets, and I shall pass safely by. (laughs) Come on. Anybody got anybody plotting against you? Huh? Anybody? Say it with me. Let the wicked fall into their own nets. For I shall pass pass. safely by. by. 
So what God is saying is that we say, and listen, this stuff that's working against your people, Lord, it will not prevail. And Lord, the vengeance against them is that the system that they have built against your people will come upon themselves. Did Haman hang Mordecai on the gallows? Anybody know the story of Esther? Haman built, Haman built, that's right, Hadassah. That's that's the Hebrew name for uh, Esther. We actually have an Esther and a Hadassah here. So we got, we got, like there's a prophetic spoke for such a time as this. That's my word. So anyway, Haman built, built gallows to hang the righteous man Mordecai. He spoke lies about Mordecai. Did Mordecai hang? Who hung? Haman built the gallows to hang Mordecai and Haman hung upon his own gallows. Well, I don't know. That's just not loving Jesus to me. You do not know this God. If this is your attitude, you need to shut your mouth and go and learn who he is. He will give nations for your victory. He'll say, okay, uh, my people don't have anything. Egypt's rich. Okay, let's bankrupt Egypt and give it to my people. That's not fair. Nothing fair about favor. There is no gallow that Haman will build for you that he will not hang upon himself. He will not. I'm just telling you. Push rebuke is push back the opposition. So this is what it looks like. All right, I'm going to finish. I know I'm long. All right. So it looks like this is going to help you out. So when God says rebuke the peoples, he's not telling us to run around and rebuke people. And I rebuke you, I rebuke you, I rebuke you, I rebuke you. The idea is that he's rebuking the thing, you rebuke the things that are in opposition to your mandate. God has told you to come here. There are things that are getting in your way. There are people, places, and things. I rebuke all opposition to this call. I rebuke all opposition to what God has set before me. It's what Jesus did, right? Anybody know the story? Peter, I rebuke you what? Satan. Was Peter Satan? No. What was he talking about? Jesus is saying, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be betrayed by the Jewish leaders. They're going to deliver me into the hands of the Gentiles. And they're going to crucify me. Jesus knew he was going to die. And he knew he was going to be crucified. This was no surprise to him. He knew it. Right? So he's telling his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. Jewish leaders are going to betray me. They're going to hand me over to the Romans. Romans are going to crucify me. Just want to let you all know this. And Peter goes, far be it from you, Lord. That should never happen to you. No, 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 no. And the Lord said, get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You're an offense. You're pushing me away from what it is that is set before me that belongs to me. The cross belonged to him. He took ownership of it in order that he might take ownership of you. (laughs) For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the pain. He owned the cross so he could own you. Here's joy. Come on, man. And nobody like Jesus... If you did not think about him every day, you need to slap yourself. If you did not go, thank you, Jesus, once a day, you need to, I'm giving you permission to slap yourself. You need to go, excuse me, I got to go to the bathroom. Didn't you just go, yeah, I know, but I got to do something. You go to the bathroom. (laughs) He glorified. He called you, justified you. Come on, he justified you. You have legal... Devils have no power over you. And Jesus glories in it. 
He glories as his people triumph over the darkness and the devils and the disease and the sickness. He has no glory in a weak, pathetic church where the devil runs. Well, we're just holding on till Jesus comes. Oh, God, we're just holding on. We're victors. We're overcomers. We're a triumphant people. Born of a seed, of a God, of a king who has never lost. He's never lost and he's not about to lose. He's not freaked out. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Whew, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Get the angels together. We need to hold a council here. I don't know if we're going to make it. I'm not sure. Be who you are, Christian. Rise to the level of your birth. The last one is God wants to glorify you. People think it's about giving Jesus glory. This is true. But you know what he wants to do? The Bible tells us. To whom he justified, he glorified. It's God's will that he glorified through your life. We give Jesus glory, but it is God's purpose and intent to be in glory through your life. It's the Hebrew word kavod. It's the Greek word doxa. They both mean the same thing. It means weight and value. We ascribe weight and value to the Lord. We glorify him. And the Lord's desire is to ascribe weight and value through our life. That you have a meaningful existence. That you are sitting on a hill. That you are the salt of the earth. That you are the light of the world. That he's glorified through you. In season, in out, in circles of influence. That's his desire. Say this with me. This is important. Many experience his glory. Few manifest it. Oh yeah. We have three phases. We have churches that don't experience any glory. We have churches that all they want to do is experience glory. And then we have the king's desire. The king's desire is not just that we experience glory. That's not his desire. Again, heaven to earth. His desire is that we manifest his glory. That his glory be made through us. That his glory come through our lives. What does that look like? Well, that looks like a lot of things. That looks like natural and supernatural. We are to manifest the glory. We are to bring what is of heaven to the earth. We are to bring the glory of God into our world. I don't have time for this, but I will quickly go. This is my last thing. How does this work? How does God's glory work in your life? Anybody want to know this? No? Tom wants to know. It's okay. If Tom wants to know, I'm going to tell you, Tom. It's lordship. It begins with lordship. Okay? God's glory comes through lordship. We become obedient into lordship. Jesus is lord of our salvation, but he's the lord of your time. Is he the lord of your body? Is, the, is he the lord of your relationships? Is he the lord of your money? This is a massive problem. We claim Jesus is Lord, but he does not rule our time. We claim Jesus is Lord, but he does not rule our money. We claim Jesus is Lord. This is the new generation, but he does not claim our body. We do whatever we want with our body whenever we want to. Don't you dare tell me what the, you belong to Jesus. He can tell you whatever he wants. He's not Lord there. You are. Don't tell me what to do with my money. Don't tell me what to do with my relationships. That's the point, Christian. So if you want doxa, you want glory to begin, it begins first and foremost with lordship. Then it begins with faithfulness, being consistent. Faithfulness is consistency. The Bible says commit these things to faithful people who will be able to teach them to others. It's not the talented. So it begins with aligning your life into lordship. It begins with being faithful. Then it comes to obedience. Say this, obedience is when I don't want to. Right. God will not trust you with great things if every time you've got an opinion about what he's told you to do. If every time he's got a debate with you whether or not you're going to do what he's told you to do, he's not going to commit very much to you. 
because he knows it's going to be a debate. He wants you to be obedient. And obedience is when you don't want to. Because I said so, nothing more. And from obedience, when you're operating out of obedience, if those of you understand what I'm talking about, obedience leads to hunger. You become obedient and you feel like there's got to be more than this. Yes, once you reach in the pattern of obedience, you begin to hunger. Then through hunger, you worship, adoration, worship. And in worship, you relate. And in relate, you begin to ask, seek, and knock for the things that God has put upon your heart. Ask him to open doors. Ask him to give it to you. Then he's going to open doors for you. And then your next step is to risk and go through the door. And then you repeat the process. Every level that you attend with the Lord is going to have this process in one form or another. You step up to another level of ministry. You step up to another level of promotion. You're going to have to align yourself with lordship. You're going to have to be faithful. You're going to have to be obedient. You're going to have to hunger. You're going to have to relate. You're going to have to worship every single time God elevates you. And your elevation in the kingdom and in the life and the destiny and the mandate that's on your life is in direct relationship to your functioning in that system I just showed you there. Lordship, most, this, is, this is the big one. This, most of us are in preschool. We, we're, we, we don't, our lives are not aligned with lordship. We can't do basic things. We, we, we say he's Lord. These people honors me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? That should be chiseled above every door of the church. The church, the, the, the doorway of the church, the exit door should say, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Amen? <laughs> rise higher. Say this. In the name of Jesus, I will rise to the level of my birth. I'm a son or a daughter of the highest. I will settle for nothing less. Father, we give you glory. We thank you for this day, Lord. We release your word that it would not return to you void, God, but it would stir within the hearts of the people. It would bring formation in the lives of the people and would bring about the fruit that you intended to bring, Lord. Father, we give you glory for it. We honor you. You are so good. We want more, Lord. We want more. We don't want average, Lord. We want exception. We don't want common, Lord. We want elite. We want elite, Lord. We want varsity. Father, and we will settle for nothing less than the high calling that you've placed upon us. And we honor you for it. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May he be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live and abide within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week.